This is Sam Anderson, lead pastor at Central Church. Thank you for listening to the Central Church Podcast. Make sure you rate, review, and subscribe on iTunes. And to keep up with everything happening in our faith community, visit centralchurch.cc. So we're going to start off this morning with some words of Jesus. Um, Words of Jesus found in Matthew chapter 10 and starting in verse 34. If you have your Bible or uh, it'll be up on the screen behind us here if you have an app, whatever you need. But uh, Matthew chapter 10, starting in verse 34, Jesus says this, Don't think that I've come to bring peace to the earth. I haven't come to bring peace but a sword. I've come to turn a man against his father and a daughter against her mother and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. People's enemies are the members of their own households. That's awkward. I mean, I'm supposed to be preaching about Jesus bringing peace, and here Jesus is saying he didn't come to bring peace. So I guess we're done. Okay. Um, I was going to throw a honto under the bus and say it was his fault for putting up the wrong scripture, but it's not true. Um, but you're all wondering, why in the world would I talk about this verse? But that's the thing, isn't it, with the Bible? Sometimes we run across these verses that we look at and we go, wait a second. Because all throughout the Bible, we hear about Jesus being all about peace, right? I mean, we sing about it. He's the prince of peace. It says it all throughout Scripture. It says the the gospel is the gospel of peace. It says he came to bring peace to those far away and those to those near. All throughout the Bible, it talks about Jesus bringing peace, that he is all about peace. And yet here in Matthew chapter 10, we find this verse where he goes, I didn't come to bring peace. And we go, Something's wrong here. Something doesn't make sense. And of course, people with uh, ulterior motives or at least bad background in terms of using the Bible can use this verse to all kinds of uh, improper means, you know. Uh, Atheists will take this book and say, well, see, the Bible contradicts itself, you know. Uh, Other people will, you know, We'll take it and go, see, God wants me to fight with my family. See, God wants me to, to, to all this stuff. It's, that's not how the Bible works. The Bible, this is, this is what um, one scholar by the name of Scott McKnight calls, he calls a verse like this a, a blue parakeet. A blue parakeet. You say, why does he call it a blue parakeet? I'll leave that as a little bit of a teaser because he wrote a book called The Blue Parakeet and it's a really good book and you should read it. Um, <laughs> but anyway, what it, what it basically means is, is this book, this, this is one of those verses that just kind of stands out and we go, this doesn't make sense. And it means we've got to take time and spend a little more, do a little more work to say, well, what is Jesus really saying here? We can just go right off the top and say, well, he's contradicting himself. Ah, just throw it all out the window. Or we can do a little more work and dig into it a little bit farther and find out what he really means. And that's what we're going to do this morning. You see, Jesus here is being very symbolic and very hyperbolic or exaggerating. And this was very common for teachers of his day to do this, to use symbolism and to use exaggeration to make his point. But the key thing that we need to understand here. And if you, if you have a decent study Bible, there's probably a little note on, this ver- on these verses, on the last couple of verses here. There's probably a little, you know, footnote that you can click on. And what it'll tell you is, is that Jesus here is quoting the Old Testament. 
Jesus is quoting the book of Micah, who was a prophet uh, of the Old Testament from, from hundreds and hundreds of years before Jesus, who, would, who spoke about God and who, who said things, and Jesus is directly quoting Micah's prophecy here. And so we have to look at Micah's prophecy to understand what Jesus is saying and why he's saying it. And when we look back at Micah, what we find out is is that Micah is prophesying about a time when God would come and do a new thing for his people. He would come and do something completely new that they hadn't seen before, and what would happen was it would create conflict because some people would be like, yes, God is doing a new thing. And some people would be sitting there going, yeah, I like the old stuff. I like the way things are. I don't want to change. And so Jesus is quoting this verse from Micah to say basically, listen, what Micah said, this is what's happening now. This conflict that we're having, this, this, this uh, difficulty where people are fighting over what's true is what is really happening now. That's what Micah said was going to happen. Uh, one of the, another scholar by the name of N.T. Wright said it this way. He said, when God acts to rescue his people, there are always some who declare they don't need rescuing and they're comfortable just the way they are. That's what Jesus was encountering. That's what Micah had predicted would happen, is that Jesus would come and God would say, I'm doing a new thing, and some people would go, yes, and other people would go, yeah, not so much. And it would cause conflict. It wasn't that Jesus wanted to create conflict. It wasn't that Jesus was all about creating, uh, you know, wanted to create discord and, and, and not peace. But he was basically saying, listen, my arrival is going to create division. And that's what he meant by the sword. He wasn't saying, hey, we love weapons. God loves weapons. No, he's not saying that. He's saying, listen, my arrival is going to create division. Like a sword cuts things in half, that's what Christ's arrival was going to do. It was going to create division and conflict. But not because Jesus wanted there to be division and conflict, but because it was necessary for him to bring true peace to our world. And that's what Jesus' true goal was. It's kind of like... I don't know if any of you have had to go through this. I had a, somebody I knew went through this once. Where you, you break a bone, right? But you don't know you broke a bone. So it starts to heal and then you go to the doctor because it hurts. And the doctor says, yeah, you broke a bone. And guess what? Now we've got to break it all over again because it's not healing right. Now we've got to reset it. You know, that's kind of what Jesus had to do here. He said, listen, there's, there's a necessary pain that has to happen so that we can bring true healing to the world. And that was, that was what Jesus came to do. And I think to explain this, I need to, get, I need to get philosophical here for a second. How many of you took a philosophy class in college? Anybody? Yeah. So here's my prediction. See if I can mentalize this. Your professor probably had a ponytail and wore Birkenstocks. How, right? Am I right? And he's like, oh, yeah, I know the guy. <laughs> I know. Lori went to, Lori, Lori took a philosophy class. I went, Lori went to college later in, later in life after we had already been married, and she'd come home. They, they described her, uh, what was they called? Malibu Ken? Malibu Ken was your philosophy professor? It's awesome. It's awesome. But anyway, philosophy. So, human beings. 
Human beings are imitators. By nature, we are created to be imitators. That's how we learn. That's how we grow. You know, those of you who love sports, you know, you got your, what, who's, who's the big guy right now? Luca? What's his last? I don't even know how to, I don't even remember. But anyway, so there's, and then there's the, there's, of course, there's, there's, um, LeBron James, and before LeBron James, there was Michael. Uh, there was Kobe, and before Kobe, there was Michael Jordan, and before Michael Jordan, does anybody remember who Julius Irving was? Anybody? I know a couple of us remember who Julius Irving was. <laughs> but anyway, everybody starts off like that was the whole phrase back in my day. It was like, oh, I want to be like Mike, because everybody wanted to be like Michael Jordan, and because. Everybody wants to imitate those that went before them, and then they, they get better and better because they learn how to imitate them, and then they take it to the next level. Human beings are imitators. But the reality is sometimes that imitation is not necessarily a good thing. I'll give you an example. Uh, I'm going to tell a story about a coworker of mine, and if she's listening on the podcast, I love you. You know I do. But um, I have a coworker who um, has two young, young boys, and a few years ago, she brought one of her boys into work on her day off to introduce him to the, to the rest of the department. And at this time, I think her son was about four years old or something like that. And um, so she brought the little boy in. He's as cute as a button. He's awesome. And, uh, and they're getting ready to leave after they had met everybody. And, uh, and she says to her son, she says, listen, say goodbye to everybody. And, and, and he goes, goodbye, butthole. Except he didn't use the word but, if you know what I mean. Um, yeah. Now, I'll give you three guesses where he learned that, and the first two don't count. Right? He didn't come, with up, that, come up with that on his own. He was imitating things he had heard, right? Um, and that's the way human beings work. We imitate we imitate. Whether it's good or bad, we tend to imitate. And that imitation creates, in, in adults especially, but also in children, creates conflict, creates rivalry. And this is where it's philosophical. There's this philosopher, theologian dude by the name of René Girard. And René Girard has this concept called mimetic Rivalry, it sounds like a big word, but mimetic just means to mimic, right, to copy. So mimetic rivalry just means that if I see you wanting something, I'm going to want that too. And if I want that too, it's going to create conflict between us. So for example, if you know anything about little kids, you put little kids in a room with a bunch of toys, there may be a hundred toys in that room, but they all want to play with one, right? There's just one toy that one of them will grab and then they'll all decide that's the toy that they want to play with and it starts a fight. Am I wrong? I mean, that, that's, that's pretty common with kids, right? Because it's, it's this concept of mimetic rivalry. If you want that thing, then I want it too because it must be awesome. And because I want it too, then that becomes a, a source of conflict. And we're in rivalry, we're in conflict because we all want that thing. It doesn't just happen with kids, though. It happens with adults. It happens with countries. You know, countries say, oh, that country's got a nuclear weapon. We want one, too. They got a new jet. I want one, too. They got a bigger tank. I want one, too. 
from little kids all the way up to countries. This concept plays out in our society all over the place. Where we see what somebody else wants, we say, I want that too, and then it creates conflict, and it creates tension, and eventually that tension can also turn to violence. And we see it all over in our society. This tendency towards imitation and then desiring the same thing and then creating rivalry and creating violence. And then once you get a fight, well, then you got a problem. How many of you have ever had to try to break up a fight? I know Jerry has broke up a whole bunch of fights, right? And the first thing you got to do usually when you got to break up a fight is you got to you got to do something that shocks the system. Like in old westerns, like if there was a big fight going on, somebody would pull out their gun and they'd fire a shot off in the air, right? And everybody would go, whoa! And everything would stop, right? Or if you're stopping a, you know, stopping a fight, you know, I mean, you, you might throw a punch. You might just say, hey, cut it out! And if you shout loud enough, you get their attention to kind of, it's a shock to the system, right? It stops everything for a second so you can kind of try to press the reset button on the situation. Well, folks, that's what Jesus was. Jesus came to the earth as a shock to the system. Jesus came to the earth to be that shock to the system, to, to stop everybody, to say, listen, this is the problem. You keep imitating yourselves, you keep getting into these rivalries and envies, and it's just breaking, it's just a cycle of violence. It needs to stop. And Jesus came to break that cycle, to be that shock to the system that would change everything. He knew that there would be those that would oppose him, that it would create division, it would create conflict, but that shock to the system was intended to hit reset on human society and say, listen, there's a better way. There's a better way. We can have peace. We can have peace. And in Jesus' day, they talked a lot about peace, believe it or not. Jesus was born in the middle of the Roman Empire. And the Roman Empire was all about peace, believe it or not. They had a whole phrase for it. They called it Pax Romana in Latin. That, that just means the peace of Rome. And everywhere that Rome went, they said, hey, we're coming to bring peace to your country. Now, they did that with an army, and they would come in and defeat your country and say, we're bringing peace to you. And they would bring peace to them by putting a soldier on every corner. And that way, if you started a fight, the soldier would stop it and you would have peace. For those on the podcast, I'm using air quotes. <laughs> because it's not real peace, is it? It's, it's a form of peace, but it's not real peace. It's just an absence of hostility. It's an absence of violence, but it's an absence of violence brought through fear. I'm not going to fight with you because I don't want this soldier to run his sword through me. But that doesn't mean we actually have peace. We still have a rivalry. We still have envy. We still have animosity. We just have a, we're making a show of being at peace. We're faking it. It's kind of like, go back to kids. You got two little kids in a fight, right? They're arguing and they're fighting. What do you do? Stop. You go sit over there in that couch and you go sit over there in that chair and don't move for five minutes, right? How many parents have ever done that or any child care people have ever used that technique? I know some, come on, I know you have. Because 
that's what we do. But see, that doesn't actually create peace for them. It might create peace for you, at least a little peace and quiet for a second, but it's not really creating true peace. And even in our world, we're still caught trying to imitate Rome. We're still caught trying to fight people to create peace. We're still caught in that cycle, whether it be in in the micro version or in the macro version of, of countries and all that. We're still caught in that cycle of trying to create peace through violence, through fighting. It doesn't work. It creates a fake peace, you know? When have UN peacekeepers ever gone anywhere and actually stopped the fighting? They slowed it down a little, but the, but the problem still existed. It wasn't real peace. Jesus came to bring real peace, true peace. The Prince of Peace came into our world of conflict and unrest and oppression and violence and endured it himself so that he could bring us true peace. Not fake peace, not pretend peace, but real peace. That's what Jesus said in John chapter 14. John chapter 14 says this, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I give to you not as the world gives. Don't be troubled or afraid. See, Jesus says, listen, I'm bringing you peace. I'm bringing you my peace, and I'm going to leave it with you, but it's not the peace of the world. It's not Pax Romana. It's not the peace that everybody else is experiencing. It's not the peace that everybody else is pretending to have. I'm here to bring you real peace, true peace. So what does that true peace look like? Right? Because it's not fighting for peace. It's not people just saying, well, I'm not going to be violent, but I'm still going to not like you. And it's not another form of peace that's really popular. It's not the, it's not the I'm just going to put blinders on and say, everything is awesome. I'm not going to watch CNN. I'm not going to watch Fox News. I'm not going to watch read the newspaper. I'm not going to look at anything bad that's happening in the world. I'm just going to go, everything is awesome. Everything is great. Isn't, the, isn't life wonderful? No, that's not peace either. That's just insulating yourself from reality. Now, there are times when that's necessary. There are times when you, you have to just set up some boundaries in your life because... Because the world's crazy. But that's not real peace. Real peace is something else. Jesus was a, was a Hebrew, and he spoke the Hebrew language. And in Jesus' language, he would have used the word shalom. You've probably heard that word before. It's still used today. Shalom. If uh, you see a Jewish person greeting another Jewish person, they will probably say shalom to each other. And then when they leave each other, they'll say it again, shalom. But that word shalom, when it gets translated in the Bible, usually gets translated peace. But it's a much bigger word than that. It doesn't just mean peace. It means to be complete, to be whole, to be in harmony with all things. For everything to be set right, the way it ought to be. That's the, mean, that's the true meaning of this word shalom, and that's what Jesus would have meant, probably would have been the word that he actually said out of his mouth, 
when he's talking about bringing peace. Martin Luther King said it this way. He said, true peace is not merely the absence of tension. It is the presence of justice. True peace is not merely the absence of tension. It is the presence of justice. That is true peace. Setting all things right. Making all things the way they ought to be. Not just eliminating tension, but making things right. And in Jesus' terms, that would have meant three directions. Peace happening in three directions. Peace vertically, peace up and down, peace in, and peace out. Right? Not peace out, but peace out word. Peace up, peace in, and peace out. Peace up means we have peace with God. Right? We have peace with God. We have peace up. Although that, I'm not, I'm not real f- a big fan of saying God is up there somewhere because God is right here with us. But, but that's another topic altogether. But peace up means peace with God. Peace in means peace, peace with ourselves. Being at peace with ourselves. And peace out means peace with the world around us. Peace with not just other people, but with creation, with all things all things set right, all things at peace. This is the peace that Jesus came to bring to us. This is the peace that Jesus is the prince of. This is the peace that he leaves with us. But I know you're already thinking, well, yeah, but where is it? If Jesus left it with us, it's not here. (laughs) We're not experiencing it. We're not experiencing that kind of peace. And that's where the tension comes in. There was a, a brilliant a theologian by the name of George Ladd who came up with this phrase, already and not yet. And all of God's gifts and all of the, the elements of the kingdom of God are already and they're not yet. What that means is, is they're adventing. They're adventing. The peace of Jesus has arrived, but it is not fully realized yet. It is adventing. It is arriving. It's in the process. It has begun, but it's not finished. And that's where we're at. We as as followers of Jesus are called to live in that tension between the already and the not yet, to realize that we have received peace with God and with ourselves and with others, but we are also called to work that out and to strive for that not yet to come a little closer. Receive the already and strive for the not yet. That's where we're at. So the next question is, how do we do that? How do we take the peace that Jesus left with us and strive to make it real? Strive to make it more prevalent in our lives and in the world around us? Well, it's... I was going to say it's simple, but it's, simple is the wrong word for it. It's going to sound simple. It's complex in its implementation. The how is by imitating Jesus. And that is what we're always called to do anyway, right? To imitate Jesus, to make our lives more like Jesus. That's how we bring peace. That's how we establish this peace. If we want peace with God, if we truly want to have real peace with God, then we've got to imitate Jesus by aligning our lives and our passions with his purposes. 
If God wants to do X and we're trying to do Y, that is not going to create peace. If God desires this and we desire that, there is a conflict and there will be a lack of peace. The more we can align our lives with the purposes that God has for us and for this world, the more we will find peace with God. We have to stop wanting the things that everybody else wants. Getting back to that idea of mimetic desire, that thing where we're always imitating what other people want. We're always imitating what other people want. We should stop imitating what other people want and start imitating what God wants. Start being like Jesus. The world around us says, oh, all I need is a better job. And we go, oh, yeah, I guess I need a better job too. The world around us says, I want a bigger house. And so we go, yeah, that'd be great. I I think I want a bigger house. The world around us says, I I think I want a newer car. And we go, oh, yeah, that sounds good. I think I'll have a newer car too. No, we need to stop imitating the world around us. Start imitating Jesus by aligning our passions and our desires with God's passions and desires. And in that we will find true peace. The second direction is peace in, right? Peace up, we got. Don't get peace in. Peace with ourselves. That's the one that nobody talks about, right? We don't talk much about being at peace with ourselves. Those are the thoughts that we have when nobody else is listening. The critic, the inner critic that's constantly talking to us, that's constantly telling us what we should be and what we should do and who we ought to look like. That's another situation where we need to stop imitating the world around us and start imitating Jesus. Stop trying to be what everybody else wants us to be and start just being the person God made us to be. I think there's probably people here today that need to hear this. God loves you just the way you are. That's the way he made you. He loves you. He doesn't think you're broken. He doesn't think you're, you're messed up. You're, he loves you. There may be decisions he wants you to make differently. There may be behaviors that he's thinking might not be in your best interest, but he loves you the way you are. And if we can just stop trying to be what other people want us to be and just allow ourselves to be who God made us to be, I think we'll find peace within. And finally, peace out. Peace with the world. Peace with this universe that we live in. Now, this one's tough because in, in, in a lot of cases, this is a situation where we're, we're trying to have peace with someone who doesn't want to have peace with us. It's challenging. We can't do it all. But the reality is that's exactly what we're called to do. Final verse, Jesus in Matthew chapter 9 said this. Happy are people who make peace because they will be called children or God's children. Folks, we're called to be peacemakers, not peacekeepers, not peace warriors, not peace fighters, peacemakers, creators, not enforcers, creators of peace. Folks, if we really want peace around us, we first have to stop making enemies. 
Stop treating people as enemies. Stop trying to defeat our enemies because that's just going to continue the cycle of, of, of conflict and violence. Defeating people doesn't make peace. What makes peace is love, the way Jesus loved, the way he sacrificed himself for those who hated him. Jesus called us to love our enemies. It's one of the most basic commands that we have in Scripture. It's because God's peace is not achieved by defeating enemies. God's peace is achieved by loving enemies into his family. And that's how we can make peace instead of just keeping peace. Probably all of us here this morning would say we want peace. We desire peace. We'd love to see peace. But the question we have to ask ourselves is, what peace are we talking about? Are we talking about peace as the, way, as, as the world defines it around us? Are we talking about the Pax Romana, the Pax Americana? The peace of the world? Or we, do we truly want God's peace? Are we chasing after the false peace of the world? Or are we chasing after the true shalom of God? Band's going to play one more song this morning before we go. And I want to encourage you over the next few minutes as we sing it to take a moment to ask God to reveal to you the areas in which you're trying to achieve peace through the ways of this world, a false peace, and ask him to help you realize how you can transform your perspective to truly chase after the shalom, the peace of God. Peace with him, peace with yourself, and peace with the world around you. Let's pray and then we'll sing. Father, thank you for this. Thank you for listening to the Central Church Podcast. We hope this has encouraged you, inspired you, and you experience life change. If you are unable to attend our Sunday gatherings but still want to support this faith community, visit our giving page at centralchurch.cc. And don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe on iTunes.